one. We are in week two of our study of the book of Ephesians. This morning we will be in Ephesians chapter one, verses seven through ten, where we will be looking at the blessings that the church has received, the blessings that the elect has received in Jesus Christ. Now, it makes sense to be looking at that this morning based off the text we studied last week. Now, I hope you remember the beginning of Paul's doxology last week or the beginning of his word of praise, but if not, or if you are new this morning, or if this is the first time visiting the church, that is okay, because it went something like this, that blessed be... Or praise be to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who before the creation of the world, God, he chose a people. And what did he do with them? Well, he predestined them to be his children by adopting them in and through his son Jesus Christ, so that they may be holy and blameless and bring praise to his, to God's most holy name. And despite the Trinitarian language that we noted last week, we also observed that it was God the Father who from eternity past, who was orchestrating the election or the adoption of his children, which he did through Jesus Christ. So this week then, the focus is on Jesus Christ and his role in redeeming his people so that they can be adopted as sons and daughters of the Most High God. And church, this is possible because there is perfect unity. There is perfect agreement within the Trinity. Jesus Christ, he has the same mind, he has the same will as God the Father, because he himself is God. Thus, Jesus Christ can perfectly carry out this plan of redemption. But this type of unity that we see within the Godhead, this type of like-mindedness, it is not something we are used to seeing in our fallen world. I read a joke recently about a young engineer who was fresh out of MIT, who in reaching the end of his first job interview was asked by the HR professional, and what starting salary are you looking for? And the new engineer mentioned, well, something in the range of $125,000 a year, depending on the benefits package. So the HR professional said, well, what would you say about a benefits package of five weeks vacation, 14 paid holidays, full medical and dental, company matching retirement, up to 50% of your salary, and a company car leased to you every two years, say a red Corvette? The young engineer sat up and said, are you kidding me? To which the HR professional replied, yes, but you started it. (laughs) And yet our Trinitarian God, our Godhead, is always of one mind, is always of one will, always in agreement with each other, which we will see in our text this morning, and which brings us to the thesis of our sermon this morning, or the two main points we will be looking at this morning. It is that Jesus Christ will redeem and forgive the trespasses of his people, and he will unite all things on earth and in heaven according to the perfect plan of God. 
Our two points this morning, Jesus Christ will redeem and forgive the trespasses of his people, and he will unite all things on earth and in heaven according to the perfect plan of God. Our text this morning is Ephesians chapter 1. We will be in verses 7 through 10. I highly recommend you following along in your Bibles this morning in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 through 10. The Apostle Paul, he writes, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. Let's pray, church. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, and his redemptive work on the cross. Father, I pray you open our eyes, you open our ears, and you soften our hearts this morning to your text. Father, you have redeemed us, you have purchased us out of our bondage of sin. And the price you paid, it appeased God the Father. We can be reconciled back to you only through your Son, Jesus Christ, who will unite all things in him and will be under his authority. Father, if we have questions this morning... If we come to you this morning not knowing what the future looks like, I pray that we see from the text, Father, that all things on this earth will come under your authority. Let us hope in that this morning. Spirit, I pray you give me the words to speak and that they glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The first of two points we will be looking at this morning is this, that through the work of Jesus Christ, we can be forgiven of our sins and redeemed. Verses 7 and 8. It says that in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. As we see in verse 7, we have the two words, the phrase, in him, which refers back to verse 6, the beloved, who is Jesus Christ. It says that in him, the God, God the Father has blessed us in him, in Jesus Christ. We have been blessed by God the Father in and through Jesus Christ. And how did God bless us in and through Jesus Christ? Verse 7, it says that in him we have redemption. Meaning that Jesus Christ, he paid for our redemption. Now the word redemption or the word redeem can mean a couple of different things in the scriptures. As J. Vernon McGee points out, it could mean to purchase or to repurchase something that is sold, possibly for your own use. I go to the grocery store, I buy a donut to eat for my own use. 
It could mean to purchase or repurchase something in order to resell it again, like a buyer would do on Amazon to buy something, to gain possession of something, and then to sell it for a greater profit. But the Greek word that's translated redeem here is apolostros, which appears ten times in the New Testament, three times in the book of Ephesians. And it means to purchase something or to gain possession of something, not to keep like a donut, not to resell like a buyer would on Amazon, but to liberate what was purchased, to release what was purchased, to set free what was purchased. Paul Tan illustrated it this way. He said that when A.J. Gordon was a pastor of a church in Boston, He met a young boy in front of the sanctuary carrying a rusty old cage in which several birds fluttered nervously. Gordon inquired, Son, where did you get those birds? The boy replied, Well, I trapped them out in the field. Well, what are you going to do with them? The boy said, I'm going to play with them, and then I guess I'll feed them to an old cat we have at home. So Gordon offered to buy them. And the child replied, Mister, you don't want them. They're just little old wild birds and can't sing very well. Again, Gordon replied, I'll give you $2 for the cage and the birds. The child thought, okay, it's a deal, but you're making a bad bargain. The exchange was made, and the boy went about whistling, happy with his two shiny coins. Gordon, though, walked around to the back of the church property, opened the door of the small wire coop, and let the struggling creatures soar into the blue. In the same way, Jesus Christ, he paid for our redemption so that we could be set free. But free from what? Free to live as we please? Free to follow any passion or desire that we have? No. He paid for our redemption. It says in verse 7, the forgiveness of our trespasses. He paid for our redemption so that we could be free from the bondage of sin. He paid for our transgressions so that, have, that which have separated us from God so we could be forgiven of sins, forgiven of our trespasses. John 8.34, Jesus Christ says, Truly, truly, I say to you that everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. They are not free, but we are a slave to sin. And the result of that, Romans 6, when you were slaves to sin, you were free in regard to righteousness, meaning we did not practice God-pleasing behavior, but we enjoyed our sin, we pl- in our sin, and the fruit of that sin, what we receive from being a slave to sin, is that of death. You see, church, because of the fall, because of our inherent corruptness, because of our depravity, we are bound to sin. We are slaves to sin. Our master, our owner, is that of sin. And Jesus Christ, in his mercy and in his grace, paid to redeem us and to set us free. We were purchased out of the bondage of sin. We were purchased out of the enslavement of death and damnation. But church, in order to purchase anything, there's a price. 
In order to redeem anything, there is a price. In order to gain possession of anything, there is a price. And we were bought with a price. And boy, was it a price. It was higher than the most expensive watch in the world, valued at $55 million. It was higher than the most expensive piece of art in the world, valued at $450 million. It was higher than the most expensive car in the world, valued at $700 million. Our price, it says in verse 7, is through His blood. It is not with perishable things such as gold and silver, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb with out blemish Jesus Christ. He is our expiation and He is our propitiation. He paid the debt, the price we owe for our sin, and the price that He paid His precious life, His perfect life as a sacrifice when He was crucified on the cross. It satisfied and it appeased the wrath of God. And why is this important this morning? That He did both? Michael Green put it this way. He said, consider the case of a factory worker who was seriously injured on the job. After the doctors had done all they could, he was still left partially paralyzed. But an investigation revealed that the company was at fault and it did not provide a safe workplace nor the proper safety equipment for its employees. Thus it was liable for the dangerous conditions that resulted in the man's injury and his permanent paralysis. As we have seen in similar situations, the court will probably award the injured man a great sum of money for his pain, his suffering, and his injury. And once the company pays the judgment against it, it will have satisfied or expiated its wrongdoings. The demands of justice have been satisfied. The company no longer has any responsibility toward the injured man. Church, that is expiation. But we have not yet dealt with how the injured man feels toward the company. He may be filled with resentment, bitterness, even hatred. He may spend the rest of his life abhorring the name of the company, even though it has been directed to give him all the money he could possibly use. The debt that the wrong incurred has been expiated or paid for, but the wrath that the wrong incurred had not been propitiated. However, when Christ died, he not only paid the debt for our sins, but he also reconciled us to God by satisfying God's wrath. Jesus Christ was both our expiation, our debt payer, and the propitiation, the wrath payer for our sins. 1 Peter 2.24 says that Christ, he himself, bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds. We have been healed. Thus glory, glory in your Redeemer this morning, church, your Redeemer, the one who according to his grace purchased his people out of the slavery of sin by paying with his blood, with his life, the price of their redemption. And with his wounds, we have been healed. 
healed, forgiven of our trespasses, and reconciled back to our Creator now and forevermore. Glory, glory this morning, church, in your Redeemer, the one who paid the price of your sins and the price He paid. It appeased the wrath of the Father so we could be reconciled back to Him now and forevermore. That is good news this morning, church. Which takes us now to point number two. That God has graciously revealed His eternal will to us. Which is to unite all things in and under Jesus Christ. That God has graciously revealed His eternal will to us, which is to unite all things in and under Jesus Christ. Verses 9 and 10. It says, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. We'll start in verse 9. Making known to us the mystery of his will. Most of you know I have a five-year-old son named Theo. I've mentioned him a couple times in my sermons. He is a walking sermon illustration. And his spiritual gifting might be that of asking questions. He is inquisitive. Like his father, he enjoys information. And if he doesn't know something, then he likes the chase of figuring out or finding the answer. So it did not come as a surprise to myself or Liz, my wife, that when she was pregnant with our now seven-month-old, Glory, that we got the following line of questions from our five-year-old Theo. Mom, Dad, where do babies come from? How are they made? How did the baby get in Mommy's belly? Now, Theo, as a five-year-old, was and is unable to figure this out on his own. And despite me knowing the answer to his questions, I also knew that at this time, it was not the right time to share with a five-year-old the information to the questions he asked. So I kept the answers hidden from him. I kept them a mystery to him. Paul uses the term mystery in the same way here. As Harold Horner points out, mystery refers to something that in ages past, hidden in God and unable to be unraveled or understood by human ingenuity or study, but it has now been revealed by the Holy Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets who in turn have made it manifest to everyone. Because you see, in Genesis 3, brother Christian, sister Christian, man and creation, they fell. They were subjected to sin. And man and the universe's perfect union, their perfect relationship, their perfect communion with God, it was no more. Our perfect paradise was lost. And in exchange, verses 22 through 24 in Genesis 3 read, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and live forever. 
Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life. Church in Adam, our perfect paradise, our perfect union, our perfect relationship, our perfect communion with God was lost. Thus, how exactly would God rescue his people? How would God restore his people? How would he redeem his people? Church, it was a mystery. The Old Testament displayed signs, it displayed types and foreshadows and shadows of how God would redeem his people, how he would unite Jew and Gentile, how he would destroy sin, how he would defeat death, how he would fix the cosmos and the universe. But in the past, it was a mystery, meaning it was not completely revealed. It was not clearly revealed. That is, until Jesus Christ, when God made known to us the mystery of his will, when God made known to us his plan from eternity past, that according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, verse 10, as a plan for the fullness of time to to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth, that Jesus Christ, that he would redeem and unite all things in him. John Stott puts it this way, that at the fullness of time, God's two creations, the whole universe and his whole church, would be united under the cosmic Christ who is the supreme head of both. And do not miss this point this morning. This has always been the perfect plan of God and how he would redeem his creation and redeem the church, sending Jesus Christ into the world to save humanity from their sins. This was not God's backup plan. This was not his code red plan. This was not his oh no man sin plan. This was not the world is fallen, scrap the original plan plan. No, it says in verse 10 that this was his plan for the fullness of time. And just as a perfect father would establish and manage and order his household in a perfect way with a perfect plan, so too did our God perfectly order and plan how he would create and how he would redeem the world before he even created it. And his plan in verse says, at the fullness of time, it is to unite all things in him. Things in heaven and things on earth. To unite all things in him. Church, this is not a proof text this morning for universalism or the idea that all created people will be saved or reach salvation. But what is being communicated here is that at the fullness of time, at the right time, God the Father, through the work of His Son Jesus Christ at Calvary, which has already been accomplished, God will unite. 
He will gather. He will sum up. He will restore. He will bring together everyone and everything and place them in their proper place, which is under the authority of Jesus Christ. Colossians 1.20, it says that for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth and in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. All things on earth and in heaven will see Christ as he is the eternal king of all. And our response, Philippians 2, so that every, so at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. If you want to know the mystery of God's will this morning, the mystery for God's fallen creation, the mystery for his fallen people, it is that he will redeem it. Sin, Satan, death, it does not win. And the one who redeemed it, Jesus Christ, he will rule over it forever and ever as the head over all rule, over all authority. Christ will reign victorious. And that is how history will end, church. And it is a beautiful thing. Take heart this morning. Christ will reign victorious. Thus, as we close this morning, I will begin with the non-Christian who is here. Non-Christian, you have heard me just share the mystery of the will of God. It is no longer a mystery. Non-Christian, according to the riches of God's grace, he will redeem his fallen creation. He will restore man back to himself. He will unite all things under his authority. And he will reign as the God over all of his perfectly glorified creation. And how did God accomplish this future reality? God humbled himself. God came into the world as Jesus Christ. Conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, he was truly God and truly man, Jesus Christ. And he lived a perfect flawless, sinless, perfectly law-abiding life. He lived the life that we could never live. And he was a sinless and perfect sacrifice for sinners, for the sins of me and the sins of you. And Jesus Christ, he gave himself up for the sins of his children as a sacrifice for his children, and he died in their place. He bore the wrath that they deserve for their sins and their place, and the price he paid, his perfect life, his blood, it perfectly appeased God the Father. So three days later, Jesus Christ, he was raised for our justification, triumphing over sin and over death. Thus, in him, in Jesus Christ, we have the forgiveness of sins and the redemption back to God through eternity. Thus, non-Christian, let today be the day that you confess your sins, you repent of your sins, and you trust in Jesus Christ and Christ alone, the only one who could perfectly fulfill the law, the only one who paid the debt of your sin and the price that he paid his perfect life, it appeased God the Father. Thus we can be reconciled back to God now and through eternity. Salvation can be yours today. 
Confess your sins, non-Christian, and trust in Christ and Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sin and for your reconciliation back to God. And to the Christian that is here this morning, the will or the plan of God, which he accomplished in Jesus Christ, it is to unite all things in him. To unite all things in him. Can you even fathom what that looks like this morning? I mean, in light of our political climate, can you fathom what it looks like for all things to be united under the headship of Christ? It is difficult. Because here is our reality from Romans 8. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation, it was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hopes that the creation itself would be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. The world, our relationships, our families, our minds, our tongues, they are messed up. They are fractioned, they are splintered, they are hurt, and they are groaning. But despite the sin, despite the pain and the groaning that Adam brought into this world, Jesus Christ, he has come to fix it to restore it, to redeem it, and to rule over it. Thus, it is my prayer that we as a church body, that we do not lose heart over the fractions we see within evangelical Christianity right now. We do not lose heart over the divide we see in our politics. We do not lose heart over the hurt we see within our families. Church, cling to Christ. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? us, no matter the divides you see, the pain, no matter the anger we face, take heart this morning. Jesus Christ, he wins. He will rule over all. He will unite his church, Jew and Gentile alike, and he will reign over all. We are united with Christ now in our redemption, and we will be united with him in our glorification, praising him eternally as Lord over all. Church, do not lose heart. We know how history will end Jesus Christ. He will be victorious over all. Thus, as a church body, let us cry out, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, come, because our God, Jesus Christ, he will reign. To God be the glory for that church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, our minds, we are Unable, we are incapable at times to fathom what a united church body, a united evangelical America, your creation united together under the reign and authority of your headship. But Father, it is your promise. Christ will reign over all.
He has redeemed us as his people through his perfect life, death, and resurrection on the cross. And if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all of our unrighteousness. Father, I pray that we do not lose heart or hope this morning. Let us be encouraged. You are a big God. The grass withers and the flower fades, but your word that you have given us, it remains forever. And you will rule. Thus, in light of whatever we are going through this morning, the pains, the anxieties, the fears, the doubts that we have, let us cling to you, Christ, the one who forgave us our trespasses, redeemed us, and he will unite all things under your headship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.